0: I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church. We're on a series called "Release of the Spirit," and it's all about how we are temples of the living God. We've seen that all temples are made of three parts, because uh, the holy of holies, the holy place, and the outer court, and these are designed to be pictures of man, because man is the ultimate temple of God. Our spirit is really the holy of holies, where God lives or is meant to live. God has designed us to be a temple uh, and he would live in, his spirit lives in our, in our spirit. And then of course the uh, holy place is a picture of man's soul, his mind, will and emotions. And the outer court is a picture of man's body. And all these temples, you see, are God's picture language to teach us about God's plan for us as temples of the Holy Spirit. That's God's ultimate plan, that he would dwell in us and shine out from us and flow out from us as rivers of living water. This is all what the temple images present to us. And we've seen that much of Jesus' teaching was to announce the coming new birth where he would make man temples of the living God. Because of sin, man's spirit died and so man's spirit is unable to contain the presence of God. And so it was a case of Ichabod. The glory of God had departed from the temple of man. But through the blood of Jesus, he's enabled our temple, our spirit to be reborn. And so that the Holy Spirit can come inside our spirit and we have a new spirit and the spirit of God lives in us. And now we become temples again of the living God. That's what Jesus accomplished through the new covenant through his death and resurrection. And so we've been seeing this in the teaching of Jesus and also we are going to see right now this absolute foundational truth of the new covenant through the signs that Jesus did, the miracles he did. Uh, John chapter 20 tells us about these signs. It says, truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these signs are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. So these signs do two things. They, they prove that Christ is the Son of God, so that we might believe in him, but they also show what th- the result is of believing on him that through believing you may have life in his name. And these signs actually demonstrate the blessing, the life, the, what God actually does in your life through, as a result of believing in him. And so the first sign, the fundamental sign, is all about the fundamental miracle that God does in us, which is the new birth. And of course, that's the transformation of water into wine. And uh, that's when he manifested his glory. And, uh, and we're going to look at that now because this is a picture of the new birth. This is what God wants to do in us and it gives us the key to how it happens. John chapter 2, on the th- third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Now Mary is a major figure in this feast because we will see as we read on that Mary was actually in charge of this wedding feast. She had the authority. She was the one who gave the orders to the servants. And it says that now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Now what was Mary doing here? It's almost like she was hinting at Jesus, wasn't she? She wasn't actually asking him to do anything, but she was telling him, they have no wine, hint, hint. You ought to do something about it, Jesus. And Jesus gave this answer that is usually misunderstood. He said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Uh, The King James says, what have I to do with you? It sounds rather rude. My hour has not yet come. And in English, it sounds a kind of disinterested, no, not interested. But that can't be right because of what she says next to the servants. It's as if she's received a positive answer from him. And, uh, and, of course, he goes on and does the miracle. So we can't be thinking that Jesus is saying, no, I, I won't do it. Something else is going on here. It's important to understand that when Jesus said woman, this was actually a title of respect and honor. Secondly, when he said, what to me and to you, or what's it got to do with me? He was actually pointing out that the situation was not under his authority, it was under her authority. And it wasn't for him to act unless she actually gave him the authority to act. Her hint was not enough. um, Because Jesus worked under authority. And that's what that next phrase means, my hour has not yet come. Now, whenever that phrase is used about my time, my hour, it's talking about the time when Jesus would rise from the dead and become Lord of all. And then, of course, he w- was in that place of authority. But when he ministered on earth, he came as a servant, as one who was under authority. So, my time has not yet come. In other words, I'm, he couldn't just act independently and presume on the authority that wasn't his. And so... I, I liken it to this. If if I was, the, you know, being the pastor of the church and I said to an assistant, you know, I don't like the colour of the carpet. They might answer me, well, what's it got to do with me? You're the pastor. If you don't like the ch- carpet, then order someone to change it. In other words, Jesus was saying, you have the authority, Mary, you need to um, If you want me to do something about it, you need to give me the authority to do that. That's what he's saying. And Mary got the message, because guess what she did next? Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. You see, she was delegating authority now to Jesus, and now giving him the right to take action. And you see that she had authority over the servants, but she was now giving Jesus the authority to do the miracle. Alright, and this is giving a major uh, message for us. And so Jesus functioned under authority. He respected free will. And he only moved in people's lives when they gave him that permission. Um, And and we see that healings were usually initiated when they came to him and they worshipped him as Lord and they gave him the authority. Well, when Mary gave him the right, as the one who was in charge of the feast, he worked the wonder. Let's have a look at that in verse 6. It says, there were six water pots of stone after the manner of purification of the Jews, and they contained 20 or 30 gallons each. That's a a lot of water. And Jesus said, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. And these water pots, these stone pots, represent man. And there's six of them, which is the number of man. And filled with water, water is a picture of who we are by our natural birth. It talks about, John 3, that we have to be born of water and of the Spirit. The birth of, out of the water of our mother's womb, that is our natural birth. And so this is a picture of us in our natural state, these pots full of water. And we need a miracle, we need our water turned to wine. We need the wine of the Spirit inside us. or we are doomed to be just stagnant water. Well, he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. Now the master of the feast isn't the one in charge, Mary was. The master of the feast was basically the, the, the head waiter, the chief servant. They took it and when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and didn't know where it came from, but the servants knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine when the guests have well drunk and then the inferior. In other words, normally you put out the good wine first and then when they've drunk a bit, they can't really tell the difference so well. And so you use the inferior wine later. But he says, you have kept the best wine until now. So the wine that Jesus produced was the very best. Um, and that's the miracle, that's his first miracle. That has to be significant. The first miracle, the most important miracle of all, is when God changes our water into wine. And this was the sign. You see, wine represents joy, represents satisfaction. The wine, the true wine of life, comes from the Spirit of God. The Spirit is compared to wine. And, um, you know, what our... The fact that the wine had run out, that shows our human condition without Christ. All things in this life, natural wine, it gives us a bit of happiness, but that runs out. And the things of life can never truly satisfy us. And so when we run out, as it were, we need to turn to Christ and ask him. And he will fill, he will change our water to wine. our cup will overflow with the abundant life that he offers us. Uh, He wants our cup to run over. And he will give us the very best wine, if we will allow him to do that miracle in us. And, And here we see what's going on here, that Jesus, by doing this sign, is not just proving that he's the Son of God, but he's demonstrating what he will do in the lives and the hearts of each person who believes in him he says I'll do that sign in your life too I will give you life through believing in me and what he does is he changes our water to wine and so the moment that Mary handed over to Jesus she had to give him the authority and in the same way this miracle can only happen for you when you give Jesus the authority when you hear the gospel and you say Jesus I want you to turn my water to wine. I call you Lord. I give you the authority to do that miracle in my heart. The moment you do that, uh, the Holy Spirit, just as the Holy Spirit, hovered over those water pots and changed the water inside to wine so that at the moment of the new birth, when you call Jesus Lord, he will hover over your spirit and he will change your dead spirit to to a living spirit, you'll be born again. Your water will be turned to wine. And so this is a, the first miracle, the first sign, which is a picture of the primary miracle we need, which is the new birth. Jesus described this transformation of our inner man, our spirit, by as a birth. Um, John one twelve tells us this. As many as received him, to him he gave them the right, or the authority, to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So it's when we believe in his name, we become his children. We are born of God, it says, who were born, regenerated, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We, we literally are born again. What does it mean? It says, we're, we're not born of blood, so it's not by your natural inheritance through your parents. It doesn't happen that way. Nor of the will of the flesh. No matter how hard you try with your works and everything else, you cannot make yourself good enough to be born again. Nor of the will of man. No institution, no church, no man can somehow make you born again. It's of God. You have to come. Christ yourself, and you have to put your trust in him, and you have to call him Lord, and then he will do that miracle for you. No man can do it, no institution can do it. You must come to Christ for that miracle, and that's that picture. And then soon after this miracle in John 2, Jesus gave a teaching on the new birth in John 3. Again it's the first recorded teaching we get from Jesus. And he described how the new birth happens. And he uses three pictures, um, showing it that it's the work of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The first picture, he shows that it's the work of the Father. In verse 3 to 7, Jesus answered Nicodemus, saying, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In other words, you can't even comprehend the spiritual realm if you're not born again and this man Nicodemus you know he was a fine man he was educated he was decent he was um, very intelligent refined but he was still outside the kingdom of God because he was not born again so Jesus shocked him by saying you must be born again if you wanna see the kingdom of God truly truly I say to you unless a man is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God In other words, you need two births. One birth is not enough. To be born of water is to be born of the water of your mother's womb. But you also need a second birth, a birth of the spirit. Two births. The birth of your flesh and the birth of your spirit. And that's confirmed um, by verse 6. It says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So the two births are your natural birth but you also need a second birth, a spiritual birth. That's what Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus, you need a second birth, the rebirth of your spirit. However educated you are, however polished you are, you must be born again, because you're dead on the inside otherwise. So the first birth equips us to live on earth, but the second birth, the new birth of the spirit, equips us to live in a different realm the realm of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. It's not an option, it's a necessity. And so that is the work of the Father because it's a Father who gives birth. He gives birth to our spirit. When we accept the seed of his word, that spirit uh, in the spiritual womb of our heart, that's, we are reborn of the Father. But then Nicodemus says in verse 4, how can a man be born when he's old? In other words, how? How does God do it? What makes that happen? And then Jesus answers this question in the next picture, which describes the work of the Holy Spirit, which is compared to wind. He says, the wind blows where it wills, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes and to where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Now, this word wind, which is the pneuma, pneuma, is the same word as the word for spirit. So he's talking about the spirit, comparing it to wind. Both wind and spirit are invisible, but they communicate energy. They, They do real things. Jesus is saying that the new birth happens when the invisible wind of the spirit blows into your spirit and recreates it. So, how does the Father do it? He does it by sending His Spirit into your spirit, and that carries the energy and the life to recreate your spirit. It's God's work that does it, God's energy, not man's. We just receive the action of the Spirit. We can't see Him, but He's real. He's powerful. He moves in on the inside and makes the change that will manifest on the outside. The Spirit, of course, is a person. We can't control him. The wind blows where he wills. He's a person. We can't control him. But, on the other hand, he always comes when we invite him. As as Luke 11 says, Jesus said, You being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So when we humble ourselves and ask him, the Holy Spirit will blow in and do the new birth. It's You see, the wind, although it blows where it wills, we know that the wind acts according to laws. It goes from high pressure to low pressure. You know, that's how you breathe actually. That's how you receive the wind in your lungs. Your, your lungs expand and create low pressure and then the wind blows in. And then the other way around to blow out. And so the wind um, if we set up the right conditions in our heart, as it were, of humility and faith, then the wind of the Spirit will blow in and do that miracle. And so Jesus compares, the work of the new birth will be the wind of the Spirit will do it. And then Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be, in verse 9? He still wants to know, there's still something missing in my understanding. How? does this process actually happen? How can I have the Spirit blow into me? And then he gives a third picture. And the third picture now focuses on the Son. We've seen the Father, we've seen the Spirit, now he focuses on the Son. The work of the Son on the cross is essential to this. We've seen that the new birth comes from the Father and the Father sends his Spirit to accomplish it But now we will see that the Spirit flows from the Father through the Son. Jesus answered this in verse 14. He said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross, that whosoever believes may have eternal life in him. So here it's saying how it happens. It's got to do with the Son. The Son of God who becomes the Son of Man. And it says he's going to be lifted up as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and then whoever believes in him, whoever looks in him, will receive life, will receive eternal life. In other words, the Spirit will blow into his spirit and make him new, will give him eternal life. Well, Jesus is referring to a story in Numbers 21, verse 5, where the, the Israelites sin. And as a result, fiery serpents come in and start biting them, and they start dying. And these serpents are a picture of sin that produces death. The curse of sin is death. And Moses prays to the Lord, and the people are repentant. And Moses, when he prays, the Lord shows Moses uh, what to do. The Lord says in verse 8, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and it will be that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was, if a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Now, what's going on here? The serpents represent sin. And this is a picture of Christ, as Christ himself points out, that as Moses lifted the serpent on the pole, so Christ would be lifted up on the cross. You see, the serpent represents sin. it was killing us. Bronze is a metal that in the Bible represents judgment. And so he made a bronze serpent and put it on the pole. This bronze serpent represents our sin judged on the cross. And so this is a picture of Jesus on the cross taking our sin and taking the judgment on our sin. And it says when the people saw their sin judged They looked, they believed, and they lived. They received life. So it is, Jesus said, that in the same way he would be lifted up on a pole. He would become sin for us. He would take our sin. And it says whoever looks on him and sees their sin judged on Jesus and accepts that for themselves, they will live. The curse is reversed in their life. What a wonderful picture of what Jesus did on the cross. And then Jesus says, "For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die on the cross, to take our sin on the cross, that whoever believes on him, whoever looks to him, whoever believes on him would not perish but have eternal life." For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. So what he's saying is this is how the new birth happens. God sends his Son to die on the cross for our sins. All who see the Son and look upon him and trust in him, at that moment the Father sends the Holy Spirit into our spirits and he gives us eternal life. We're born again. We possess eternal life in us that's how it happens nicodemus when you put your trust in christ dying for you on the cross you see your sin judged on him then the spirit flows through that into your spirit and so we're born again by putting our trust in christ so what a wonderful picture of the new birth he turns our water into wine when we accept christ we put our trust in christ the father sends the spirit through the son into our hearts and we're born again. And Jesus did one more sign that's a picture of the new birth also. That's when he raised Lazarus after four days. And those four days represent 4,000 years of mankind under the power of death. Not just under the power of physical death, but under the power of spiritual death. For 4,000 years, man has been under the power of death. And that's why Jesus waited four days before raising Lazarus. And by raising Lazarus, he demonstrated that he was the Son of God. And he demonstrated what he will do for those who believe. He will raise us from death to life, from spiritual death to spiritual life, and from physical death to physical life. And after 4,000 years, Jesus came and he raised us out of spiritual death to spiritual life again. Praise God. And that's why he made his claim in John eleven twenty five. 25. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. Two things there. Resurrection, that's physical. The life, that's spiritual. Spiritual life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. That's talking about physical resurrection. He's the resurrection. But then he also says, and whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now he's not talking physical he's talking spiritual there. He's not just the resurrection, he's the life. And he says, "Whoever lives and believes in me will never die." Why? Because we receive eternal life in our spirit and we will never we have are made spiritually alive. And he says, "Do you believe this?" And so this reveals the picture of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is a picture of Jesus not just raising us up physically but raising our spirit from death to life. And so the new birth is actually compared to a resurrection of something that's dead on the inside of us being raised to physical life. We are raised, as Peter says, um, we're born again through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. The resurrection life of Jesus comes into our spirit and we're born again and we become a temple of God. And the day is coming when our body will also be resurrected. Praise God. And we will then enter our eternal state of being having being an eternal temple of God. Praise God. There are two phases. The phase one, we're like a tabernacle, like a tent with God's spirit within us. And then in the resurrection, we become this permanent temple of God in our resurrected body, with the glory of God shining out of us. We are the... foot will be the fully functional, glorious temple of God forever. Praise God for the new birth which has made that all possible. If you want some in-depth teaching on the release of the Spirit, how to release the power of the Spirit in your life, we have exactly what you need. There are three CD series here, each with eight CDs. Release of the Spirit 1, Release of the Spirit 2 and Release of the Spirit 3, and there's a special offer if you get two or three of these series. Let me encourage you that this is such an important area that we understand the dynamics of the Spirit in our life. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services, which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm. At Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX37QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books, and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.